don't know. Tempers flare over safe consumption. Let's do more to stop the flow of drugs into the middle. Let's get them safe first. Richmond City Council prepares for another night of passionate debate and disruption. BC builds. This is just one of many different initiatives we put in place to address the housing crisis. The new initiative to construct thousands of affordable homes, while a new report says tent encampment residents have a right to stay put. And power problems. This year's snowpack is incredibly low right now. Key reservoirs depleted and the looming threat to BC's electrical grid. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. For a second night, Richmond City Council is going to hear from residents who have a lot to say about a supervised consumption site proposed for their city. Monday's meeting was interrupted by protesters both inside and outside of council chambers. And at least one person was escorted away by police. Our Grace Key is live tonight at City Hall. Grace, that meeting set to get underway in just under an hour mm -hmm. from now. Uh, and we do see a crowd behind you. Is this a repeat of what we saw last night? Yeah, a few minutes ago they were chanting again, no drugs, no drugs. Not the same numbers that we saw the same time yesterday. A few dozen or so, possibly up to 100 people showing up right now. For a second day there is also police presence here. They're all here to keep the peace, especially after yesterday's, yesterday's heated exchanges. Right here. Tensions ran high just before Monday night's Richmond City Council meeting. All over a possible safe consumption site at Richmond Hospital. RCMP were on hand to help deal with the heated exchanges. It was a disruptive start inside council chambers during the public comment period. This is not some kind of a theater or a carnival. This is a very solemn occasion. 122 people registered to speak. Council heard from 54 Monday night. Another meeting had to be scheduled for Tuesday to hear from the remaining speakers. The communication has been very, very difficult. We're trying to communicate the basic messages, which is which includes that uh, the City Council is considering whether to liaise with the Vancouver Coastal Health and suggest that we should have a safe consumption site at the hospital. And if that motion passes, it's up to Vancouver Coastal Health to make the final decision. Premier David Eby providing some insight into where the health authority stands on the issue. My understanding is uh, that they're trying to get a better handle on uh, why Richmond is bringing forward this proposal at this time, whether what's proposed actually meets the needs in Richmond, because uh, from their perspective, this is not uh, what is immediately needed in that city. All right, Grace, uh, Cash Heed helped to introduce that motion. What is he saying about the Premier's mm -hmm. comments, and will we see a vote tonight? 
Yeah, I did speak with City Councillor Cash Heed, and he said that is certainly not the indication that he was getting in his discussion. So somewhere these wires are crossing here. Now, there are 68 registered speakers. Now, this is the second day, so sometimes those numbers do drop. So it's possible we could see things wrapping up today with a vote. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Grace Key reporting live uh, at Richmond City Hall tonight. Well, since the overdose crisis was declared a public health emergency in 2016, 174 people in Richmond have died from toxic drugs. The worst year was 2020, when 33 people in Richmond lost their lives to an overdose. And last year, there were 26 overdose deaths in the city of Richmond. The B.C. government is launching a new initiative to build more rental housing for the so-called missing middle. The province has earmarked nearly a billion dollars for B.C. builds. But as Richard Zussman reports, it'll take years to catch up to demand. Laying the foundation for B.C. builds. Today is the first day of a brand new program. Unlike traditional low-income housing plans, this focuses on what the Premier describes as middle-income earners. To qualify for a studio or one-bedroom home, the renter or family must make between nearly $85,000 a year and nearly $132,000. For a two-bedroom or larger, the income threshold is between $134,000 and around $192,000 per year, with some deviation from this based on community. This is a significant step forward in young people believing that they may now actually be able to leave their parents' home. 20 sites, including this location in North Vancouver, have been identified. 20% of the homes in the program will be at least 20% below market rate, and rents are to be no more than 30% of someone's income. This program is designed to grow. Uh, if uh, other partners are able to come in, other local governments, First Nations, the federal government, uh, we expect to see a significant increase in the number of units we can do in a year. Even though the goal is for this program to continue to grow, the worry is the homes just can't be built fast enough. With some of these rentals not even available until 2026 at the earliest. There are a lot of developers who are standing down right now because they don't know if they're going to have a fourplex or a sixplex or what they're going to be able to build. So because of confusion like that, there is hesitancy to move forward. BC Builds needs builders with a current lack of people able to do construction. That's really going to be one of the key challenges is really the kind of workers that the province is going to be able to bring in to build these units, much less the kind of uh, the, the kind of strains this might have on existing infrastructure for many of these smaller communities. The promise is to approve these projects within 12 to 18 months, a big change from the current time of between three to five years. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, we've heard a lot of talk in this province about low income or below market mm -hmm. housing, not so much about this missing middle housing. Mm -hmm. Is this an, an sort of an intentional shift to use different language? Oh, most definitely. Talking with people today, senior levels of governments, and this is a definite shift. I mean, basically, this is where the voters are. There's a heck of a lot more people in the middle to high income category than low income, and it is an election year. But also, it reflects the fact that even people with six-figure incomes, and we're talking in excess of $125,000 family income, still have a housing problem. They can't afford the rent. They can't afford a place to buy. A point seized on by Premier David Eby today, he says people in his own life, his own friends are in that situation, and they can't find any housing. That's why the shift is a Today. Here's the premier. You know, I earn a decent income. 
I earn hundred. Our family has a hundred thousand dollars. Our family earns one hundred thirty thousand dollars. There's nothing for us. We're looking around. We can't find anything to rent. This is the story that we're hearing again and again. This is the group of people that this uh, program is targeted at. It's targeted at middle-income British Columbians that earn a decent income and haven't been able to find a reasonable place to live. All right, we'll hear about the budget next week. Housing is going to be a big part of it for sure. What should we anticipate? Yeah, a big part indeed. So this is the current budget. And every budget every year has a three-year fiscal plan. So some of the housing initiatives, and we're talking billions of dollars, are already announced in the three-year fiscal plan. I'm expecting, based on people I've been talking to, to even add more dollars to this. We're talking uh, dollars in the billions of figures, not millions. Billions of dollars over a number of years to build more housing, particularly rental housing. And as you heard today, particularly for the missing middle, those middle incomers. One other housing initiative we expect, a new flipping tax, a tax on flipping homes. So expect that next Thursday in the budget coming down here in Victoria. All right, lots to chew on and cover. Thanks very much, Keith. And while Premier Eby was promising housing solutions for middle-income earners, Canada's federal housing advocate was calling for an immediate stop to the dismantling of tent encampments until all levels of government find a solution to the housing crisis. Alyssa Thibault has more on what's being called a human rights crisis. On Vancouver's waterfront, the Crab Park tent encampment has been in place since May 2021, a common sight for Vancouver. But encampments have also been growing across BC and the rest of the country. I found that this is a national crisis, that there's no place that's immune. It's not just a big urban centre. A scathing report by Canada's federal housing advocate says the expansion of encampments is a national human rights crisis, which needs a national response. People aren't there because it's an adventure. People are there because of issues of lack of affordability in housing. The report calls for a number of immediate actions from the federal government, including ensuring access to basic necessities, such as clean water, sanitation, food, heating and cooling, an end to forced evictions, to immediately convene meetings with provinces, territories and municipalities to come up with a coordinated response and offer permanent housing. The report also calls on decision makers to address the root causes of encampments. Which is not just housing supply and not just supply of shelter beds, but poverty, you know, colonialism, racism. These are the root causes. While Premier David Eby welcomes the call for action at a federal level, he describes the report as a simplistic analysis of a complex issue. I just profoundly disagree with any suggestion that encampments are acceptable. Uh, decent, reasonable places for people to live because I have seen, and British Columbians have seen, the violence, the fires. Both in Vancouver and across the country, people have died in encampments, some from tent fires and overdoses. Crab Park has also seen a murder and a stabbing spree. The Federal Housing Minister says work is being done to address the housing crisis, but didn't provide any details. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. Statistics Canada estimates 235,000 people are experiencing some kind of homelessness in Canada, but that's based on 2014 numbers. Homeless advocates say the number is probably higher. StatsCan says in 2021, more than 1 in 10 Canadians, 11.2%, said they had experienced some form of homelessness in their lifetime, and more than 10% said they had experienced what's called hidden homelessness, like couch surfing, because... They had nowhere to live. 
To put it bluntly, Canadians are not feeling good about their finances. That much is clear in a joint report from the Credit Counseling Society and pollster Angus Reid. Many have experienced a significant increase in debt over the past year. The report surveyed more than 1,500 people. It found 85% say spending on essentials like housing, food and transportation are the main cause of their worsening financial situation. 44% of Canadians reported experiencing an increase in their debt in the past year, and 64% of Canadians were found to carry non-mortgage debt, with Gen X and elder millennials, ages 35 to 54, as the most likely group to carry that kind of debt. Perhaps just as concerning, the report discovered more Canadians than ever are only making the minimum required payments on their debt, and many are turning to loans and falling further into the red as they tap into their savings. If you need to utilize that tool, like I was saying, such as a savings account to get you by, that's great. You know, you had that in front of you. However, are you looking at the big picture, the long-term aspect of that? Are you going to need that savings for a future application of something? Um, or is this something where you need to start looking at potentially other options that are available to you? People are still struggling. Going into this year, coming out of last year, and it's affecting more Canadians is what it feels like. And I think the next piece that's really important there is it's a difficult conversation to talk about. It's always been a difficult conversation, um, but there's people here to talk about that with you. Credit counseling experts say this is a great time of year to go over your finances and get yourself back on track, especially now that we're seeing those credit card bills come due from the holidays. Identify the struggles and where you can make small changes in stages. And if that's too overwhelming, you can always reach out to the nonprofit Credit Counseling Society, which is free of charge. RCMP are looking for two suspects connected to a parking lot shooting in Coquitlam on Sunday. Both victims are still in hospital after they were found with gunshot wounds in a car outside the Cactus Club at Coquitlam Centre. Police say after the shooting, a silver Chrysler 200 was found on fire near 180th Street and Golden Ears Way in Surrey. Investigators say the two incidents are connected. No word on a motive for the shooting. When we have a a shooting in our community it raises the temperature of the public rightly so especially given this is now the fourth shooting that we've had since the start of the year uh, we take these matters seriously we're investigating them diligently and public safety is our number one priority officers say this shooting is not related to the others this year but it was targeted they're asking witnesses or anyone with dash cam or surveillance video of the vehicle on fire or from the shooting scene to contact them. The Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit says it's made the largest one-time seizure of contraband tobacco ever in the province. Late last month, officers seized a total of 35 pallets of illegal tobacco. That's the equivalent of nearly 12 million cigarettes with an estimated retail value of $11 million. Seven search warrants were executed in Langley, Abbotsford, Surrey and Victoria as the result of an investigation that began in August 2023. Officers also seized 32 firearms, contraband liquor, cocaine, marijuana, eight stolen vehicles and a speedboat. Gangs and organized crime will are, take opportunities to profit, uh, make profit to support their illegal organizations. Yes, traditionally we see that they deal more uh, in, in drugs, 
but obviously, uh, as we see here, evidence today, they are dealing with contraband tobacco. Four people, three men and a woman, were arrested and released in connection to the investigation. Officers hope to announce charges at a later date. A special prosecutor has approved charges in the case involving the alleged assault of a Crown prosecutor in Vancouver. A 27-year-old Kenyan, Thomas Lavalley, has been charged with one count of assault and one count of assault causing bodily harm in connection to an incident February 2nd in which a prosecutor was punched outside provincial court and another person was assaulted shortly after. Because one of the victims is Crown Counsel, lawyer Chris Johnson will act as special prosecutor to avoid any conflict. Lavely is set to appear in court again tomorrow. Drought concern deepens in B.C. with such a shallow snowpack and below normal reservoir levels, how it could impact B.C.'s power production. Next on the News Hour. It was funny. She had the brightest smile. A young victim of the toxic drug crisis immortalized in a mural. That's later on the news hour. Plus. Oh, what? We got this. The young local actor is showing he has some swagger on the screen and off coming up as well. First, though, the low snowpack across the province is raising the alarm about reservoir levels. The two dams that account for nearly half of the province's generating capacity are both low. And as Kylie Stanton reports, BC Hydro is already bracing for what might be ahead. That was then. This is now. The Lions, one year apart. Just one of many signs the province's snowpack has dipped to concerning levels. This year's snowpack is incredibly low right now across the board, across the entire province. So it's averaging at 61% of normal. It's a trend that's now made its way to some of the province's largest reservoirs. We're certainly seeing historic levels of drought and I understand just how concerning this is for for all of us. According to BC Hydro, the Williston Reservoir is currently sitting at 661.7 meters, one and a half meters below the monthly average. The same goes for the Kinbasket Reservoir at 729.7 meters, 2.7 meters off the average. With both dams accounting for more than 45 percent of BC's generating capacity, the province is preparing for what's to come. It's really important that British Columbians have safe, reliable energy, that the lights come on when you flick the switch. And we know that we have to plan for climate change in the future and for adding new energy resources into the grid. BC Hydro does import energy. Last year, roughly 10,000 gigawatt hours were brought in to deal with the lack of water in the reservoirs. But as we transition out of the winter months, the conditions are only expected to get even worse. Having a, a warmer and a drier than normal summer has become much more common. Power generation and uh, air conditioning and the fact that power lines become less efficient in extreme heat uh, are all parts of the challenge ahead. With two thirds of the snowpack already behind us, there is still time, but the clock is ticking especially with it being dry for another 10 days. The likelihood of even getting to near normal is, is pretty low at this point. So in all likelihood, most areas of the province are going to stay below normal. It's just a matter of how far below normal they will be. Kylie Stanton, Global News.
All right, let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon for more on this. Uh, Christy, uh, Kylie said it, the clock is ticking. Mm -hmm. What do we need? here to get us into the safe zone, or is that even possible at this point? It doesn't really look that possible, as uh, Jonathan was saying from the BC River Forecast Center. So we broke down some of the numbers just to give you a good perspective of that. Uh, looking at the snowpack for uh, the month of February, what we would need is almost 300 centimeters of snow in the mountains. So that's the water equivalent of 300 millimeters. Uh, February average is 125. So we'd need to triple our average for the month of February. And we really only have two weeks left of February. So that really is a slim, slim chance. So far, we've only had 25. So the considering the amount of snowfall that we lost in sort of December and into January, uh, looking forward into March and April, those two months can still get some significant snow, but we well know it's an El Nino season, and we tend to get the strongest effects of El Nino in the late uh, winter and the spring. So the chance of us getting that snowpack uh, at sort of even at the, certainly at lower elevations is very slim. All right, thanks for that, Christy. Residents of Osuyas have been ordered to boil their water after what's being called a significant instrument failure. The town says a power outage caused equipment to malfunction, allowing one of its reservoirs to run dry and the main reservoir to drain to critical levels. The risk of a backflow introducing bacteria into the water triggered the boil water advisory. It's not the first time residents have had to deal with water quality issues. The water has been brown off and on over the, the years and the other night after that failure they had it it, uh, it it looked like somebody poured coffee in there and it was it's unpleasant. Hopefully they get it fixed soon. I know it's on the agenda and uh, you know hopefully it happens sooner than later. The boil water advisory comes after the town council passed a huge property tax hike of around 39 percent to upgrade the water and sewer infrastructure. Coming up, redevelopment versus remembrance. Most of the owners of these graves themselves have since passed away. Concerns which, there could uh, be more than pets resting in peace on this property and why homes will likely be built here anyway. Also coming up, two Canadian champions are returning to this popular game show. What is Jeopardy? Correct. There are more questions than answers tonight about what exactly is buried at a pet cemetery in Surrey. As we first told you Friday, plans are in the works to develop the land into housing. But as Janet Brown reports tonight, some people believe the graves might contain human remains. I uncovered and restored all of these ones. David Corrin's been coming to this pet cemetery in Newton for the last three years, about once a week, to clean it up. This is bubbles. Just a labor of passion. I actually don't have any pets buried here. I just did the work because if I didn't do the work, no one else would. With his pets, Bonnie, Sport, and uh, Cappy. He says he soon realized there could be human remains here among the hundreds of buried pets. Muriel L. Clark. Uh, Stephen Gray and the Wilson family. This one's registered on findagrave.com and it has a notation, human cremains buried here. He says he used that website, a subsidiary of ancestry.com, which allows the public to search and add to an online database of human and pet cemetery records to try and determine as best he could that human cremains are here. I think it should be preserved as a memorial 
sacred ground. Turnberry Developments purchased the site in 1993 and it's now been sold to a Surrey home builder who wants to construct three single-family homes. I don't think that they should be allowed to repurpose it if there are human remains here. Personally, I, I want to develop into a new house. Turnberry Developments has issued a statement. We have investigated if there are human remains on this property. None were discovered, nor did we find any urns containing ashes. We searched vital statistics and contacted crematoriums and funeral homes to find the next of kin and ask for their guidance in the matter. Yeah, are they going to do <laughs> dig up our cemeteries? That's what I said. We next, were going to see my mom and because dad Because they want to put a townhouse in? Grown over with sod and I uncovered it and restored it. The city's planning and development department says there is no council approval process required for the subdivision of the property and any decision will be at the discretion of the city's approving officer. Janet Brown, Global News. The city of Pitt Meadows is getting some help from the federal government to remove abandoned vessels from the Alouette River. The decrepit boats are more than just an eyesore. The city says they're also a safety and environmental risk. The removal work will take place over the coming weeks between Silver Bridge and the Pitt Meadows Marina. And during that time, access to parking and the river and a nearby trail will be limited. Abandoning a vessel is illegal under federal law and Transport Canada says it'll work to locate the vessel owners and hold them accountable. Up next, a poignant tribute to a victim of the toxic drug crisis. This young girl looks really young. She didn't even get to start like yet. The artist behind the memorial mural and what he hopes you'll take from it next on the News Hour. Also coming up, researchers confirm the link between climate change and health. I'm Jay Durant from Global News, inviting you to the Latako Kunal 2024 BC Winter Games, a celebration of sport and community, February 22nd to the 25th. Competitions are free to watch. Visit bcgames.org. Well, for a parent who's lost a child, their birthday can be an agonizing annual reminder of that loss. A Kamloops mother whose daughter died of an accidental fentanyl overdose is marking her birthday with a special memorial in Vancouver. And Kristen Robinson reports. February 13th would have been Selena Lasciavo's 29th birthday. Instead, her face is memorialized on a mural 350 kilometers away from her home in Kamloops. I want to bring awareness that it, it, it can happen to anybody. She has, she has so much life yet. Lori Hewson and Peter Lasciavo's 23-year-old daughter had a full-time job and was attending Thompson Rivers University with dreams of becoming a vet assistant when she died from an accidental fentanyl overdose in April 2018. Her mother says Selena and her two friends who survived thought they were taking cocaine. I didn't put her in the same boat as those struggling on the downtown east side. It doesn't matter who you are, fentanyl will kill you. In an effort to raise awareness about the overdose crisis, Hewson asked the downtown east side's best-known street artist to do what he does best. But I'm honored for that because I think that this way a lot more people will see it. The mural by Smokey D and Trey Helton, designed to share a mother's empathy with other parents of children gone too soon. Kudos to her mom for, for standing up and, and talking about it, right? More than 13,000 lives have been lost since BC's public health emergency was declared in 2016. Now it's eight years and it's not any, it's not any better, it's, it's worse. 
and the numbers are a lot worse now. Like that, 2023 was the worst year we've ever had. It's incredibly heart wrenching and gut wrenching um, to just talk to family, broken families, over and over and over again. Selena's parents say it took years for them to share their daughter's story without feeling shame over how she died. This is not a game. This is some serious, dangerous uh, stuff out there that are that are taking our kids' lives. You don't know if you want to share that part of uh, your daughter's passing with people that don't understand. If there's, a, if there's anything I, w- I want to say, I just wish we could do more. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A new report says the connection between climate change and negative health outcomes is strong. Today's release from Vancouver Coastal Health and Fraser Health is part of a three-year project that looked at which populations were most vulnerable to the changing climate. Among the findings, extreme heat events will become much more common, wildfire risk is expected to increase in B.C., and more floods and landslides will also occur during major rainfall. We think that mitigating climate change and adapting to it uh, does have the opportunity to protect lives. And I think that the evidence that we have shows us that the failure to do that uh, could lead to uh, colossal harms. The health authorities say they will now work to prioritize next steps to support people as communities adapt to climate change. And an update on that framework is expected in the spring. Still ahead, an acting gig that's a slam dunk. I really love my journey so far. Really thankful for Swagger. Local actor and athlete Solomon Irama talks about his shot at stardom on the hit Apple TV series later. Plus. All I can tell you is that it was super fun. The Canadian comeback on Jeopardy. Two past champs and the questions they hope they don't have to answer. Wasn't fun talking about low snowpack and drought earlier on in the newscast, but we can talk about sunshine and feel good about it. Mm, that's right. So the flip side is, yeah, we certainly get a nice uh, sunny days. And this is a shot looking out over Penticton uh, from Dennis. And yeah, if you drop the banner, you can see, I think he was out for a bike ride, which is awesome. They did certainly have some snow over the weekend, but you can see not a lot left now. And that's because of that warmth and sunshine. We have more of it on the way. Cold though overnight tonight, especially in the interior, and we are expecting a bit of a wind chill tomorrow morning so for those of you in the interior wind chill down to minus uh, 12 is possible and through the Fraser Valley we could see a bit of a wind chill because we'll likely see that outflow wind strengthen into tomorrow morning so Fraser Valley could feel like minus four out through southern metro Vancouver we'll see those winds as well and what's not indicated very well in this graphic is the strong winds that we're expecting outflow winds through the Howe Sound region we could see northerly gusts up to 80 kilometers an hour tomorrow now we had been talking about snowfall for Thursday. Here's a look at the latest computer model, which is just updated literally half an hour ago. Uh, we do still have the potential of a signal of snowfall for southern Vancouver Island and out through the Fraser Valley. Still not a lot for Metro Vancouver other than mainly cloudy skies. And certainly temperatures will warm up in the morning. We'll see a transition to our uh, just showers. But that possibility through the early morning period is still there. So we'll have more details on that tomorrow. In the meantime, your Valentine's Day looks beautiful, everyone. Certainly chilly through the morning hours, but we are expecting sunshine throughout the day it will be bright it'll be beautiful highs of eight degrees for metro vancouver mainly cloudy though on thursday with that slight chance of a shower or flurry sunshine on friday but a few showers expected over the weekend tonight central windows weather window showing you that blue sky once again thank you to john for this one looking out from Kamloops. beautiful thanks very much christy 
Well, this week, two Montrealers are appearing for a second time on the iconic game show Jeopardy. Global's Dan Spector spoke to them about their preparation and got some advice on how you could get on the show, too. I joke for, like anything literature, it's always David Copperfield. Montrealers Vince Bacani and Deandra D'Alessio are part of an exclusive club. They both saw their dream of winning a game of Jeopardy come true last year. And you are our Jeopardy champion. And this week, they're both set to appear on the legendary trivia show for the second time. Well, the first time it happened, I was like, is this real? Is this happening? It's quite surreal. Like, you've been dreaming of this your whole life. The Champions Wildcard Tournament invites past winners to compete against one another. D'Alessio and Bacani were both flown to Los Angeles last month to record their episodes. Ever since, they've been closely guarding the secret of how they did. Their shows are finally airing this week. All I can tell you is that it was super fun. She's a technical writer and Concordia University grad. He's a risk manager who went to McGill. You need to be smart just to get on Jeopardy. I learned how to read it two and a half. But how does one study for a trivia show where the categories can be anything? Bakani delved into kids' books on subjects like history and animals. You just need to know that they exist. You don't need their life story. No matter what you read, everyone has their blind spots. Sports. <laughs> Sports, I'm a big zero. Poetry was kind of a weakness um, and contemporary music, so like hip hop, no clue, no clue. Both contestants encourage Montrealers and all Canadians to try to get on the show. The process starts with an online test, which they both did multiple times before getting the call. The next stage is an audition with producers on Zoom. Treat the whole thing like a job interview and present yourself in the best possible way. D'Alessio bought her puppy Chai with the winnings of her first show. Bacani still hasn't spent a penny of his. Both say their favorite part was getting to know their fellow contestants. Maybe the true Daily Double was, was the friends we made along the way. Bacani makes his debut on Wednesday. He hopes people PBR the show if they're busy for Valentine's. D'Alessio is on this Thursday. Dan Spector, Global News, Montreal. Would you do well on Jeopardy? No, I would not. <laughs> I bet Squire would. Oh, he'd rock. I will take what's coming up in sports for 500. <laughs> and what's coming up in sports? I don't have 500 to give you, but you can answer the question. Well, then what's the point of playing this game? <laughs> um, the Lions have lost free agent defensive lineman Matthew Betts to the Lions, the Detroit Lions. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the National Football League likes good football players, as do we. Neil McAvoy will now have to find a replacement for last year's top defensive player in the CFL. Also coming up. The local kid bringing some swagger to streaming TV. Nobody likes losing bets. That story coming up a little later in the forecast, but the Canucks are a good bet against Chicago. Squire? That was excellent. Uh, <laughs> it was really quite good. Um, it is first against worst tonight with the uh, Canucks in Chicago. The Blackhawks are bad, and they don't have their best player in Connor Bedard, who's still out with a broken jaw. He might come back next week, though. Now, this game will end the Canucks' uh, latest five-game road trip. There won't be any trips that long the rest of this season. They've beaten Chicago twice already this year, and quite frankly, 
They should beat them tonight. On paper, this is a mismatch. This is like Ant-Man against actual ants. Final stop of this five-game Chicago, the second the city, or in the NHL's case, the 32nd city. And Alex Vlasic gives the puck away, and Vlasic puts his team in a pickle. Do you get what I'm saying there? Nice. Since we're all on this kick tonight. But it's the third line coming through again. Garland, Joshua Garland, beautiful. Chicago only had one shot on goal in the first period. But the Canucks are only up 1-0. One thing about the Blackhawks, they're not very good, but they do try hard. So, 1-0 Vancouver. The NHL's Ironman is in Abbotsford to see if he has the medal to make a comeback with the Canucks. Phil Kessel is in town. He'll work out with the baby Canucks tomorrow. And if all goes well, who knows? He might get signed by Patrick Alvine and the Canucks. He certainly fits the profile of what they like. He is a former Pittsburgh Penguin, which is really good to have on your resume. And who knows? Alvine, Rutherford, and Tockett, who like him, like the fact that he has championship pedigree. Three Stanley Cups, two with Pittsburgh, one with Vegas last season, although he only played four games with the Golden Knights during that playoff run. But he has played 1,064 consecutive regular season games, which is kind of funny considering Kessel's not really a gym rat at all, loves drinking Coca-Cola instead of water, never looks to be in great shape, but he can score 413 regular season goals. So he would give Vancouver some scoring depth if they in fact need it. Well, Morgan Riley doesn't like guys taking slap shots into empty nets, and the NHL doesn't like players who cross-check players in the face who do take slap shots into the empty net. So Morgan Riley today was given five games for this cross-check on Ridley Gregg. I'm not sure what was wrong with the slap shot into the empty net, but Riley certainly thought there was something wrong with that. Well, this was day one of CFL free agency and last year's Defensive Player of the Year. Matthew Betts did sign a contract with the Lions, but not the BC Lions. He signed with the Detroit Lions. BC would love to have brought him back, but just like when they lost Nathan Rourke to the NFL, the Lions have a big hole to fill this year. That's pretty impressive. We're excited for him. You know, it's always tough losing people. Um, two years in a row of losing Canadian guys to the NFL, which is a, a good thing in the big picture. I know it's frustrating for, for all of us and for fans, but it's a good thing if, if people want our coaches and want our players, it means we're doing something right. So uh, proud to have two guys, uh, you know, get a, get a legit shot down south. Losing Matthew Betts to the NFL's Detroit Lions might be a feather in the Leo's cap, but it's also a major thorn in their side. Betts was the CFL's most outstanding defensive player after setting a Canadian record for most sacks in a season. So how does BC go about replacing those 18 sacks and pressure off the end that Betts brought? Well, good question. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's possible, especially that uh, he's a Canadian. Um, so we have young Canadian players that will obviously be fighting for that position. And... Uh, we're going to have to uh, bring in some Americans to, uh, you know, uh, replace that production, which, you know, is going to be tough. But that, that, that's the world we live in. Pressure again, and they're going to get there again, taking them down. This time it's Robertson. And that American is former Riders rush-in Pete Robertson, who led Saskatchewan in sacks in each of the last two seasons. Robertson, 21 sacks, 86 tackles, and six forced fumbles in 42 games. Lions also adding veteran depth at quarterback, 30-year-old Dakota Prukop joining BC after spending the last two years in Winnipeg. 
you know, we really think he's a really good short yardage guy. We want to be better in short yardage on both sides of the ball. We think that's an area for, for improvement for us. And so um, we're going to try to do things to, to put it in that direction. The other guy's VA is very good at it too. So we're going to look at all options to, um, as far as improving in that area. And we'll still be on the lookout here. Um, you know, things kind of slow down in free agency, but there's some things that can happen later today or even on day two or day three. So we're going to make sure we, uh, you know, we stay open for business as far as free agency goes. There you go. We're still open for business. Oh, yeah. We are for the next eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Everybody else will be working 24-7, but you know when we're off the air. All right, coming up, a young BC actor showing Hollywood He's got some swagger. From breaking news to developing stories, no one connects you to your community better than BC's number one news. Come home to the team you trust. Global News Hour at 6. We are BC's News. Jordan Armstrong is standing by with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, of course, we're keeping a close watch on tonight's meeting at Richmond City Hall. Round two of hearing from speakers about that proposed safe consumption side. Plus the signs it could be a brutal year for cherry growers, in addition to other Okanagan fruit farmers. And you can blame January's deep freeze at 11 to help farmers say they need just in order to survive. These stories and more later tonight. Sophie. All right, looking forward to that. Thanks, Jordan. Now, a young Vancouver actor is living his dream today, getting the chance to play with UBC's men's basketball team. The 20-year-old is no stranger to the game, having shown off his skills in the show Swagger, based on the life of NBA star Kevin Durant. Catherine Urquhart reports. 20-year-old Solomon Irama hits the court at UBC, joining the men's basketball team for a practice session. The Point Grey graduate isn't a bad shot. It's truly amazing, man. It means a lot to me. I've been playing basketball all my life. Let's go. And the Vancouverite has another not-so-hidden talent. Swagger on three! One, two, three, swag! For two seasons, the actor played the role of Phil Marksby on the acclaimed Apple TV Plus show Swagger. His skills more than came in handy filming the show, which was based on the real-life story of Phoenix Suns forward Kevin Durant. I really enjoyed going down to the States and doing my Swagger TV show, and I wouldn't trade those opportunities for the world, like all the people I've met, the acting experience I got, and uh, the basketball experience I got. You could tell like there was a different uh, feeling out there. The like, guys were a lot more energized, there's a lot more high fives and stuff going around. Great basketball show and uh, great to have him out here today. To have someone of, uh, of his status, you know, being a, a television series celeb, uh, it's kind of special, it's fun. You sure you're not too busy, Mr. Carson? Irama has been acting since he was just one, appearing in Cop and a Half 2, Supergirl, and The Grim Sleeper, among other shows. Sometimes I have to bring myself back to, you know, who I am, to, but because of what I've done, I got to do certain things, keep up my training, keep up my abilities, and uh, really just a blessing, man. Again, a blessing. What's next for this multi-talent? Plans include more acting and more basketball. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. When was the last time you saw this? <laughs> Solomon, good luck to you in your mm. acting and basketball career for sure. He did not look out of place with no. UBC.
Uh, we need to get some new chairs. Yeah. The chairs are getting <laughs> Well, these old. ones haven't been used since early 2020. That's true. Well, they use them on the morning show. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. We haven't sat in them for a while. <laughs> it's been a while since you saw all four of us up here since before the pandemic. But it's mm -hmm. nice to have you back in the, mm -hmm. in the studio. Uh, and final word on the weather. Yeah, so tomorrow, Valentine's Day, nice and bright. Chilly start to the day, so make sure you bundle up in the morning. We are expecting that northeasterly flow gusts up to 50 kilometers an hour, and that's particularly out through the Fraser Valley. Again, a heads up for a few flurries on Thursday. We'll have more details on that tomorrow and some sunshine in store for us on Friday. I know a lot of kids have the day off on Friday, so that's nice. That's right. I, I was going to ask, too, it's okay that I put my snow shovel up in the garage attic, It's not right? okay. It's snow? No. Actually, do it, because then we'll get snow. Okay, that's what I've done. Yeah, yeah. That's what I've done, so you can thank me. Thanks for watching, everybody. Good night, all.